can turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. All right, as the, as the kids go out, uh, yeah, you can turn in your uh, Bibles to the book of Exodus. We have uh, two more Sundays in the book of Exodus, this Sunday and next Sunday, and then we will finally finish the book of Exodus. You may be waiting like the Israelites we don't know what happened to this Moses dude. You guys are like, we're, we don't know what happened. Why are we still in Exodus? We will finally finish Exodus very soon. Um, we've got just two more weeks here in Exodus. And, and then we'll be moving into, uh, we'll have, uh, Hunter's going to preach uh, after that, and then we'll have, uh, we'll be moving into the, the liturgy sermon series that we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, in, uh, in launching a, a daily liturgy that we together as a church will walk through. And we're going to continue to have more information as we get closer to that, but we're really excited about uh, those opportunities. But this morning, uh, we are finishing up in this section of Exodus uh, 33 and 34. Uh, Well, uh, I've told you about this before, but um, Chris and I spent a lot of time with uh, my friend Andrew as well, fixing up the house next door to us, uh, where Chris and Kat uh, currently live in the apartment upstairs. And we spent a ton of time... uh, kind of tearing this place apart and then putting it back together. And, and lots of you actually helped uh, in the demo, uh, which was a fun day. Uh, but in that demo, one of the things we did was uh, carry this really nasty fridge down the stairs from the second floor. And the second floor, the stairs were on the exterior of the house. They were kind of attached to that. And eventually we wanted to remove that because we weren't quite sure about those stairs. And so uh, one day, Chris and Andrew and I kind of took that thing apart. It took a while to get apart, but when we, one of the things we discovered in taking that apart is that the four-by-fours that were holding up the staircase were actually just sitting on the ground. They weren't even buried in the ground. Now, I see lots of shock on your faces, so you guys know a little bit about how these things are supposed to work. You're supposed to bury those in the ground and pour concrete in them. They were just sitting on the ground, sitting on the surface. And we had carried this heavy fridge all the way down. It was terrifying to relive. But when we built a deck on the front of the house, we dug deep holes and we put the four-by-fours in. We poured concrete. And actually, uh, even before that, we knew that part of the house needed to have some more structure. So we actually dug a four-foot concrete pillar in the basement. We dug and pork, four-foot concrete pillar in the basement. Because the reality is, when you need strength and structure, you need depth. You need depth. There, there's no greater uh, source of strength than just going deeper in the ground to allow the earth in how God made it to give structure. It's really easy to build on the surface However, over time, it will be exposed as not having any roots. That's why that staircase was falling down. Now, in five years, hopefully, the deck is still standing and the house is still standing, and, and it will prove to have, be, have been structurally sound, right? <laughs> but if you were to look at those two when that staircase was built and what we've done, it would look the same when it was first built. You wouldn't actually be able to tell a difference. The depth, that the lack of depth is exposed not immediately but over time because depth will show itself over time. This is true certainly in decks and foundations, but it's also true in relationships and certainly true with our relationship with God. 
depth in our relationship with God creates intimacy. And this is particularly a problem for Israel in this moment of our story. If you remember last week, we saw that Israel was sitting at the base of the mountain. Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They get impatient, and they're like, Aaron, make us some gods. And they make an idol. And, and what we saw, right, is that the very last words ascribed to the people of Israel was, Lord, we'll do everything you command. And the very next words were, Aaron, make us some gods, which is everything you didn't command, right? And we're left at the end of that story with this question mark of what will God do? Will he be gracious to them or not? This intimacy that they had with God has been ripped by their sin and idolatry. And the question is, what will happen next? Well, let's start here at Exodus 33, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. What is God going to do? I'm going to decide what to do with you. Now, notice a few things about this. If you've been reading along throughout the book of Exodus and, and even back into Genesis, there's a repetition of language here that God uses. I will drive out these people groups. I will give you the land, right? There's this, this set of people groups that are going to be driven out, and you're going to get this land, and it's going to be given to your descendants. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Except in this instance, the language changes slightly. It's, I will send an angel that will drive these folks out, but I will not go with you. Earlier it said, I will drive them out. Now, it, certainly it did say, the angel of the Lord will go with you but he has my very name in him, right? Meaning that the angel of the Lord, we talked about this, or Hunter talked about this in his sermon, that this was what we call a Christophany, where we, we see a, a pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the Old Testament. God is saying, I'm gonna go with you. It's an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord who has God's very name in him, but he's also not God, the Father, right? It's, it's a, a picture of the Trinity at work in that. But this is different. I'm going to send an angel, but I'm not going. This is different. I'm going to get rid of those folks, and you're going to get the land. Go to the land. Now, here's a question. Why do the people begin to mourn? They're going to get the land. They're going to get the blessing. They're getting exactly what they wanted. They're getting the land. God is saying... I will give you the land. I know you sinned, but I'm still going to give you the land. Just go to the land. They're going to get the promise. And in light of their sin, 
in light of their idolatry, why aren't they happy with that? Why are they mourning? In light of everything that they've just done, God is saying, I'm still going to give you the land. Just go. Why do they mourn rather than rejoice? Right? God is invisible. Right? Why do they care so much if he won't come with them? Because the difference isn't going to look, it's not going to look any different. Right? Remember, that's part of this whole challenge for Israel in the ancient Near East is they say, our God is invisible. And everyone shows up. If you read in the Old Testament any spot where they say, show us your God. Right? It's other nations mocking Israel for saying that their God is invisible. So God not going with them, like, what's going to be the difference for them? They're still going to get the land. The people are still going to be driven out. They're still getting the blessing. Why do they care so much that they would mourn in this? You see, Israel, as much as we said last week, like, what is going on with you guys? Like, why are you so quickly running to idols? They get the points of the blessing. The blessing ultimately is not the land, but God himself. The blessing is ultimately that God would be their God and they would be his very people. And God has said, I won't go with you. Now here's the question for you. What if God offered you all that you wanted in life, but said, I won't go with you? Would you take that? Let's be honest, right? Let's not give the quick answer. Let's be honest. Like, think about this. He's gonna give you whatever your heart desires. Maybe it's a relationship that you want or money or a house or kids or travel or, the, or your dream job, any of those things. Or, or, or maybe it's like these really like godly desires of like my kids to be okay and them not to ruin their lives. Or respect and prestige. Whatever it is. Maybe, maybe it's even kingdom things, right? This is the land we're talking about. This is the promise of God to the people of Israel. You're going to get this land. It's your promised land. Maybe it's kingdom things. The church that you want. All, all, the, all the people coming to know Jesus. All the good Christian things that you're going to do. All of these things. And God says, go. Take it. Go do it, but I won't go with you. You see, this is the thing, right? This is the very thing that Israel is faced with because the reality is it might even look the same as if God is going with you, right? He says it's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything you wanted. And sometimes when we realize who God is in his holiness, that if he were to go with us in our sinful nature, he's going to wipe us out immediately, right? Because we're stubborn and rebellious. Sometimes in that, we are content to try and get the blessings we can from God without longing for intimacy with God. If we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we are very content. If God would just give us those blessings, even if he didn't give us intimacy with him. He'd just give us those things that our hearts are longing for. Even those really good things. He would just give them to us. And it would be easy and we could just walk into that land. We could just walk into those blessings 
even if we didn't get intimacy with God, we'd be okay. Because intimacy with God seems too hard. If we're to have intimacy with God, we're going to have to deal with our own junk. Right? Because intimacy comes with depth. You know, it's easy to lay a four by four on top of the ground. It is not easy to dig it below the frost line in Munsey. Because it's like all clay and nastiness and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hurts bad. It's real hard to dig a four foot hole in the basement in the mud. Like, that's hard. And to have intimacy with God, you're going to have to unearth some stuff. You're going to have to go deep. And when you go there, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to actually confront your sin. You're going to have to actually hear God confront you. You're going to have to wrestle with your own identity. You're going to have to Actually be honest with God about how you feel about things. And sometimes we're content to not do that and just take the trappings of Christianity and live that surface level and be fine with it. Because it seems too hard. Why, can't, why does Israel not do that? Why, why are they mourning instead? Well, it's because they've just come off of tasting what idolatry does. For Israel, literally, they had to drink the the idol that was smashed up and put in the water, right? They literally drank what their idol was, and it did not taste like what they said, what they thought it would. And when you and I get what we want without intimacy with God, we know at the end of the day, when we lay our head on the pillow, that's not it. That you could get all those blessings. You could walk into the land flowing with milk and honey. And if God's not there, it's not okay. It's not going to be okay. Once we've tasted how idols cannot fix our issues or give us what we need or what we long for, we need and hunger for intimacy with God. Which is why... In writing this passage, Moses immediately goes into this remembering what intimacy with God was like. This next section, actually, most scholars are like, we don't really know why it's here. Because it doesn't really make a ton of sense to, in the flow. It kind of breaks up the flow. But I actually think this is intentional for Israel in reading this to remember what intimacy with God was like. Because the question is, will you get intimacy? You've destroyed it. You've ripped it. Now you need to remember it. You need to remember what that intimacy was like. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, this tent of meeting is not the tabernacle that we've been talking about. Right? This is, because if you remember, we talked about this tabernacle that God instructed Moses to instruct the people to build. Right? So we we talked about that for a couple of weeks in uh, the chapters previous to this. Just beyond this section of Scripture, it's going to describe Israel doing exactly what, it's like almost word for word, doing exactly what God had instructed in building the tabernacle. That's not what this is referring to. This is referring to as they were leaving Egypt, God would meet with Moses, and so he set up a tent. So this is not the tabernacle. This is a separate tent that he would make as they were traveling towards Mount Sinai. So he's kind of looking back. And 
uh, everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. We get a little picture of uh, how Joshua is ready to lead the people later because he spends so much time with the Lord in the tent of meeting. But in this space, Moses meets with God face to face. Now, this face to face, I don't think is the same thing that we were talking about with the angel of the Lord of a Christophany of, of God coming in the per, in the in the, in the uh, form of a person to Moses because right it said the cloud descends and God would speak. So this face to face is more of the idiom of intimacy. It's more of a, just a phrase of of how do we describe how God would meet with him in intimacy? Well, face to face like a friend. So this isn't the angel of the Lord coming. This is the pillar of cloud. This is God the Father coming and speaking with Moses out of the cloud, face to face, communicating intimacy. They're all worshiping, right? All of Israel worships at this moment. The cloud is present right there, right? God is invisible, and yet God has made himself visible to them so that they would know he's traveling with them. They get to see and worship God. But Moses, Moses gets intimacy with God. Speaks with him face to face like we speak with a friend. That kind of intimacy, it's like when you have a friend that you know really well so that you guys can hang out and actually just sit in silence and not have to fill the space. That's when you know you've reached intimacy. When you feel the urge to like, oh, this is awkward, I gotta fill this space, you're not there yet. But when you feel like you can sit in silence with someone and it just feels natural, you're at a level of intimacy. That's what Moses had with God. Knowing what another person is thinking before they even say it. Knowing someone's heart and having them know your heart. Knowing those deep places, both good and bad. That's Intimacy, face-to-face like that with a friend. Do you remember a time that you've had that kind of intimacy with God? Again, this is this odd interruption in the text, but I think it fits here because the point is remembering the intimacy they had before their sin and hungering for it. That hungering for intimacy, that hungering to know another and be known fully. That has to be directed to the Lord. Remember a moment, even if it's just a moment in your Christian life that you've experienced that level of intimacy. The point of this text is to say, remember that. Remember that. Don't be content with the blessings of the Christian life apart from the intimacy of God. 
Don't be content to just live a surface level. You've tasted and seen the intimacy of God. You need it. Hunger for it. And then direct that to the Lord. And if you are apathetic towards that, if you're apathetic towards intimacy with God, you need to remember and awaken that. That's the habit of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, they set up these pillars, right, of remembrance. And I remember just reading the Old Testament for the first time and just being like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And the reality is, as I've lived longer, I forget more things. And I need to remember those things. And you need that in your life. You need habits of remembrance. Remembering when God delivered you from something some sin struggle that you couldn't do on your own and God delivered you. Or when God showed up in a way that only he could do in his providence to fix or to create space for something new. Or when you knew this horrible thing happened and nothing good could come from it and yet years later you look back and it actually was the thing that saved your life. All of us have these stories. You need to remember them. And remember that intimacy with God and then hunger for it and look towards it. Well, Israel is not content to stay in this place. And so intimacy needs to be restored. Intimacy was ripped. Intimacy needs to be remembered. And now intimacy is going to be restored. Sort of. Sort of. We'll see. Right? One day... So, so this is kind of picking up the same, this interruption, right, is, is, is done. The Lord said to Moses, go, and now we pick that story up. One day, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If It is true that you look favorably on me. Let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. One of the things we need to notice as we walk through this text is that intimacy with God doesn't always mean agreeing with God about the circumstances that you are in. The reality is we often think that some sort of intimacy with God, being a mature Christian, means you can't struggle with the weight of the circumstances that you're under. Right? Suffering with joy in the Lord, we think, means smiling on God's providence no matter what's happening. That's not true in any of the Old Testament, any of the New Testament, or any of our experience. Mature Christians actually are honest with God about the struggle of their circumstance. I mean, Moses has literally led like one of the most colossal failures of leadership of all time. You were gone for 40 days and they just totally blew it and broke the two first commandments. Most important. You know, whatever. It's fine, right? Total failure of leadership. But look at the boldness of Moses. He says, Lord, these are your people. Remember that these are your people. You say that you love me. You say that you have favor on me. 
Well, then show it. God, show me that this is true. Intimacy with God is being honest with him. Catch this, right? Even when the circumstances you're under are because of your sin. This is right after the golden calf. Moses bears responsibility for that as the leader, and yet he is still bold in saying, these circumstances don't fit your character, God. And so what are you gonna do? The circumstances that we're under don't fit what you have told me about yourself. And he asks, God, would you show up and be, would you have your favor upon me? And the Lord says, yes. Then Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place, right? God just said, I'm gonna go with you. But Moses is like, wait a second, we gotta be sure here. We gotta be absolutely sure. If you personally don't go, do not send us. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me or on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. You see, the thing that separates us as the people of God from the rest of the world is not our morality. It's not our uh, blessing that God has given us. It's his presence. That's the thing that sets us apart. That's it. That's the thing. And Moses says, if you're not gonna go, do not send us from this place. We're not leaving until you go. Have you ever been so bold with God to actually ask in faith like that? This is consistent with God's promises. He's promised that he's gonna go. Will we be bold enough to ask in the same ways? Even more boldness than Jacob, right? Jacob wrestled with God, right? And said, I'm not leaving. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Man, when we say things like that to each other, we're like, oof. God needs to be a little more sanctified. But Jacob did it, and Moses is doing it right now. Moses is like, God, you want me to do this thing. If you're not going, I'm not going. That's it. Why? Face-to-face intimacy. He knows the heart of God. He has been with him. It's like when you are close with a friend and something happens between your friendship that's inconsistent with their character, and you say, this isn't right, and this isn't you. I can actually say that. Now, now certainly, God has not done anything wrong. Moses is the one that's done something wrong. But he says, wait a second, even with that, we talked about this last week. I know the story of Abraham. I know that when you made a covenant with Abraham, you went through the carcasses twice. Abraham didn't even go through. You said you'll bear the responsibility for Abraham. So, so you have to go with us because you said you will. God loves when his people bring his promises boldly to him and says, God, will you fulfill this? He loves to do that because he's a good father. So in the midst of this, Moses is saying, God, you gotta go with us. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. 
For I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Moses, chill out. Like, how many times are you going to ask for something more? Like, you got the land. No, you got to come with us. Okay, I'll go with you. Okay, but, but you really got to go with us. Okay, I'll go with you. Okay, but God, if you're going to go, you got to show me your glorious presence. See, intimacy with God is continuing to press in, never to just be content. Never to just be content with where we're at, but continue to press in more. Show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. I love this passage so much because it is so like incredibly uh, clear that God is really big and Moses is really tiny. Right? Like, okay, Moses, you want to see? Well, you're going to die if you really look at me. So here's the deal. I'm going to hide you, cover you up, right? Again, this is not a theophany in which God's showing up as a person, as like a giant, right? Like this is metaphorical speech for how God's going to pass by him, right? But God's going to pass by him, and you can look as I walk away, but you can't see my face because it's too glorious, too glorious. So, but I will show you some. I will show you some. I am going to show up. It feels very much like when God speaks with Job, and Job's like, God, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, oh, you want to know? All right. Well, where were you when I uh, planted the foundation of the earth? Oh, were you there when I held back the water? Oh, I didn't think so, right? Sometimes God shows up in these ways where he shows us how small we are, not for the purpose of beating us up, but for the purpose of saying, you're real small, and I'm still going to let you see. You're still really unworthy, Moses, to see, and you got to know that, but guess what? I love you, and I know you by name, and I'm going to let you see some of my glory. Now, in light of that, in light of how glorious God is, that even if he looked at Moses, he would be burned up, and so I'm going to just pass by, and I'm going to cover my hand, and, and all this stuff, you would expect that God will show up in this like miraculous, glorious way in which Moses will fall on his face as though dead because of all of this that Yahweh is going to do. But what does Yahweh do? How does God show his presence? Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one else is to, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. 
The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out. Here's the key. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. God shows up. He doesn't start with, I am glorious and sinners get burned up in my presence. He starts with, I am compassionate and merciful. You want to know the presence of God? The glorious presence of God. What did, what did Moses say? Show me your glorious presence. Let me see some of your glory. God's glory is seen in his mercy. He says, this is my name, Yahweh. I am who I am, right? This is, it's just these four Hebrew letters that kind of combine together to, to say, I am who I am. Meaning, we, we, we can't define you with language. Like, we have no idea how to talk about you. So we're just going to, this is how you're going to reveal yourself. But then he immediately follows it with his character. He is personal, glorious, and gracious. He is good, and he is faithful. God is going to show up in mighty ways, and he comes and says, I am compassionate and merciful. Part of the reason we are afraid to go to a level of depth of intimacy with God is because we're afraid of what we're going to find there. Some of us live our lives, and we've, in, we've interpreted the circumstances of our lives. Maybe it was uh, parents or authority figures that were abusive or difficult, and we, we attribute that to any level of authority over us, like God. Some of us struggle with knowing who we are when we get to the most intimate places and knowing that no one wants to see that. And so we're afraid to go to that place with God. But Moses says, let's go there because right there, when we go there, when we press in for intimacy with God, he's going to speak to us and say, I know you by name. I am merciful and compassionate. I am abounding in steadfast love. I am slow to anger. and I give unfailing love. Well, the effects of this intimacy, um, oh yeah, I'll keep reading. Uh, and he said, oh Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and sins. Claim us as your own special people. The Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. See, I will go. See the change? No, no, no. I will go with you. Now here's the effect of this intimacy. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets, 
inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Moses comes down off the mountain. He is glowing. He is glowing. He has no idea. Remember, he has spoken with the Lord face to face like a friend, meaning intimacy, but he hasn't even seen God. He saw God's backside and he's glowing, glowing. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face, so he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Moses is going to experience and showcase this glowing radiance because of his intimacy with God. We are always, as a people, trying to flex in the world, aren't we? We're always trying to show off a little bit, either physically or or materially or even spiritually. Trying to just flex just a little bit so someone notices us. What if we, like Moses, just spent time deeply with God and let things shake out? What if we spent time with God and just let that intimacy with God be what we reflect to the world? Not be concerned with how people are interpreting it, right? It's literally half of the reason all of us get on social media is just to flex in some way so that someone notices something, right? Let's just be honest. Right? We say it, so we want people to keep up with us, right? No, we're trying to flex a little bit. That's what we're trying to do. What if we just spent intimate time with God and let that shape us, and that's what people saw? That we just reflected who God was. Moses is literally reflecting God's glory to Israel. Now, all of you are saying, all right, well, that's easy for Moses to say because he saw God face to face and he was glowing. The New Testament would tell you not so fast. You see, intimacy was restored for Israel, sort of. But intimacy is resurrected in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18 says this, the old way with laws etched in stone, that's literally what Moses just had, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Right? Every time. The brightness would fade a little bit, and then he'd go back in, see more glory. Then he'd reflect it. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious... How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Moses, or Paul is saying, you think Moses has glory? It's nothing compared to what we have now. 
So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Bolder than Moses? We've just seen the boldness of Moses. And that's nothing compared to the boldness we can now have. Nothing. We can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. When the law is talked about, when it's talked about what God expects of the world, there is a veil that is placed over the human heart that just condemns us until this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is what we get in the gospel. This is the glory that you get. If you have turned from your sin and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, that veil is removed and you can view the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That's what Paul goes on to say in the next section. That the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Meaning, what you and I do here on Sunday morning in which the gospel is proclaimed has more glory than when Moses saw God pass by and heard him say, I am gracious and merciful. Why? Because we know that mercy. We know where it went. That mercy went all the way to the cross and to the resurrection. We have experienced that. You know more of God's heart because you've experienced the gospel. You have a greater glory, a greater intimacy with God is possible now because God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. So that you are not like Israel who sits here, right? And I go meet with God over here and then come and tell you these things and put a veil over my face because I spent so much intimate time with God. No, you are like Moses going into the presence of God with boldness and intimacy to see his glory. And you get to see it and then reflect it. That's the whole point of the Christian life. See the glory of God, reflect the glory of God. So don't be content with living a surface level Christian life where we get the blessings of being around the people of God. We look moral and good. We have good families and and we do the right thing and we never get in trouble. Don't be content with that without the intimacy that God gives you in the gospel. Even this, get this, even this. Don't be content with even the spiritual blessings like forgiveness of sin and justification, and the promise of eternal life without getting the ultimate blessing, which is the presence of God. 
the intimacy of God. Forgiving your sins, that's a means to an end. The end is God himself being with you. Sometimes we focus the Christian life only on confessing sin and believing that we're forgiven and end there. That's not the point. The point is to go in and see God. Be intimate with him. Come near to him. Seeing his glory. Don't be content to just land on these blessings, but actually press in and behold him in all his glory. And in trusting in him, you will see that and then be transformed to reflect that to the world. That's how this works. So if you are experiencing, read the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not experiencing those things in your life, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, love, self-control, I'm missing some, but joy. Uh, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there eventually, right? It's a group effort. Uh, help me out, help me out. Uh, so, so these fruit of the Spirit, right? If you're not experiencing them, the way to experience them is not to be like, okay, Let's go over here and manufacture some things and, and, and love some people and do this stuff. No, it's to go in and behold Jesus' kindness, goodness, faithfulness, compassion, self-control, purity, love, joy, all those things, patience, all those things. To behold him in his glory there. And guess what? You will then go to the world and reflect that glory. You're going to reflect whatever you spend time with. So if it's not intimacy with the Lord, what are you reflecting to the world? Because the only thing that marks us off as different from the rest of the world is God's presence with us. So if you want to reflect that to the world, you got to spend time with him intimately. And if you're not feeling it and it's feeling dry and you're feeling frustrated, you know what you do? You be bold like Moses. I'm not moving until you show me. You want me to love my neighbor? Well, you better show me your glorious presence. I'm not moving until you show me who you are. Be bold. What would it look like if you prayed that kind of bold prayer in your life? I don't know the answer, but I want to find out. Let's do that. Let's pray boldly like that and let God show up and then we can reflect him to the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need your intimacy. Lord, it's just really hard for us to imagine that we have more glory in hearing the words of the gospel than Moses had in seeing you on that mountain. So God, make it true for us. Holy Spirit, you are in us so that we would abide in you, Jesus. Make that true for us. Show us your glorious grace. Show us your mercy. Show us your compassion. Show us your presence. Let us know you. And then, Lord, then Lord God, transform us to be more and more like you. From one degree of glory to the next, just make us reflect who you are to this community. Jesus, we pray that you would gain all glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.
co-worship.